on a warm summer's evening on a train bound for nowhere i met up with a gambler we were both too tired to sleep so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness till boredom overtook us and he began to speak he said son i've made a life out of reading and we're back Next up, we'll be talking a bit about Titanic Thompson, the four times divorced golf shark, pool shark, and all-around gambling man. The subject of our discussion in this segment is a man whose athletic talents amaze just about everyone who crossed his path. He is not, however, remembered by posterity as an athlete, but rather as a con man. You've probably never heard of Titanic Thompson because for most of his life, keeping a low profile served his purposes. His purposes generally involved extracting money from people who were unlucky enough to wager against him. Titanic's remarkable athleticism, combined with an encyclopedic knowledge of methods of cheating, gained him millions of dollars through poker playing, pool hustling, and wagers on anything and everything, golf in particular. Award-winning author Kevin Cook has taken it upon himself to tell the tale of this curious character in his new book, Titanic Thompson, The Man Who Bet on Everything. Kevin Cook is a former Sports Illustrated editor and frequently appears on both ESPN and CNN. We're pleased to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Kevin Cook. Hi, Doug. How are you? Doing well. Enjoyed your book very much. Well, thanks. He's, uh, he's a pretty remarkable character. And in writing a book about Titanic Thompson, I think the biggest job is just to get out of his way. <laughs> well, uh, near the end of his life, I gather, he came into Sports Illustrated to try and sell his story. And, of course, with his, with his background in poker and pool, uh, not so much spectator sports, I think, back then as the, maybe they are today, but it's undeniable that he was this extraordinarily talented golfer. First question is, why wasn't he famous as a golf pro? Well, Titanic was often asked uh, why he didn't play on the PGA Tour, and he always said, I couldn't afford the cut in pay. <laughs> now, in, in his day, his heyday, really in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, he was. Uh, he played Ben Hogan, the Hall of Fame golfer, Byron Nelson, Sam Snead. They all said this was one of the greatest golf talents there ever was. But in those days of the very early golf pro tour, um, those guys are playing for $10,000 in a year, $30,000 if they have a great year. Meanwhile, Titanic is down the road playing the richest man in town at the country club for $10,000 per hole. So uh, he is... He played, he won and lost millions of dollars in his time. Uh, he really would have been, I think, playing, playing poker on ESPN today or playing golf uh, in all the major tournaments. He was just a little bit too early for that. Yeah, I was quite struck in the book, you know, by how, what you're describing. It's almost as if Babe Ruth had turned on baseball contracts because he could make more money playing exhibitions. Well, yes, and it, uh, the world really did change, and it's, uh, it's utterly different now. Uh, he was also not a guy who was going to be told to wake up in the morning and show up on the tee at a particular time. <laughs> uh, he was, Titanic was most comfortable, uh, you know, late at night in a back room, some smoky back room with $100 bills piled on the table playing poker or playing dice. He was um, a famous craps player who came into New York City out of Arkansas, took everybody's money, and uh, was actually the inspiration for Sky Masterson, the hero of, uh, of the musical Guys and Dolls. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I guess Damon Runyon used to hang out with uh, people like Arnold Rothstein and, 
and famous gamblers, and yet it's, it's Titanic that really seemed to have uh, stuck in his mind. It's true, and uh, if people are watching Bard Boardwalk Empire, they're seeing uh, Arnold Rothstein as one of the uh, real-life gamblers in that show. Uh, that was in the early 20s. By 1928, Rothstein was running uh, the rackets in New York City. This is the height of Prohibition, the Roaring Twenties. Titanic comes in and uh, won a lot of money from Rothstein, actually double-crossed him. Now, this is the man who had fixed the 1919 World Series, the Black Sox World Series, uh, double-crossed Rothstein in the card game that got him killed. Um, meanwhile, Damon Runyon is falling in love with the, the character of Titanic, whom he called Titanic Slim, <laughs> and asked him if he could write his life story, and Titanic said no. He said, mine ain't the kind of business publicity helps. <laughs> so that's yet another reason Titanic isn't famous, that uh, he is he's famous among a few gamblers, among uh, some old-time golf pros who still trade Titanic Thompson stories. <laughs> but uh, his method was to go into a town unknown, clean everybody out. He's on the road before anybody knows what hit him. Yeah, you, 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 you describe how during that, that Arnold Rothstein uh, murder trial, Here's Titanic trying to keep a, a low profile and finds himself on the front pages of the paper. And they also got his name wrong. His name was really Thomas, and that's how he got the name Thompson. That's correct. This is a man born Alvin Clarence Thomas in 1892, literally in a log cabin in the Ozarks. He goes through the 20th century blazing such a trail that by the time uh, he gets through, he's such a self-made man that uh, he has a new name. He was Titanic Thompson ever after. This this picture you paint of like 1920s, 1930s, him coming into a town, wanting to be an unfamiliar face, uh, and and, um, and in some cases having to basically uh, involve gunplay to get away. It was quite a shadowy world. Well, it's true, and you have to defend yourself. If you're playing an illegal card game for hundreds of dollars um, per hand, you know, the, the C-notes stacked up on the table, somebody is likely to burst through the door, guns blazing, that's holding up the game. That happens a lot of times, uh, the heist, and you have to defend yourself against that. Titanic was very handy with a Colt 45. He killed five men in his time. Always said that if they were here today, they'd say they had it coming. <laughs> uh, he, he, was, uh, he was a great shot, as well as uh, um, all of his other great athletic skills, and he also was enough of a psychologist to know, even if you're a bad guy coming through the door to, to hold up a poker game, you're probably nervous. And nervous shooters shoot high. So Titanic's method was always to, uh, if somebody got the drop on him, he would drop to one knee, spin around and fire, and that's how he took some people out. He never went to jail for it, largely because it was self-defense, and the police often told him, thank you, this is a guy <laughs> that uh, we wished uh, we'd caught up with a long time ago. <laughs> well, he's such a colorful character. You, you describe how in his youth he would practice physical skills he would need for wagering. He would, he would do shooting he would get a, to be a better shot. He'd pitch coins, deal cards, great, uh, great eyes, great hand-eye coordination. But there's one, one anecdote in your book that just really sticks in my mind. He would bet people he could toss a quarter, then toss a 50-cent piece so it would hit the quarter and cause it to pop up and rest on top of the coin, which just doesn't even seem possible. It doesn't, and I haven't seen anybody who could do it, but I have uh, uh, Doyle Brunson, a Poker Hall of Famer, who has uh, uh, won the World Series of Poker a couple of times, is one of the witnesses uh, who says uh, Titanic did such things really simply out of practice. He was a tireless practicer uh, with cards, um, 
with coins, and uh, there are numerous accounts of his doing this. Uh, you know, one of the tasks for me was to separate the legends from the facts of Titanic. It was helpful that he didn't exaggerate himself, because that would have that would have been poisonous to his method. If he if he bets you he can do something, he better be able to do it, or he's going to lose the bet. So Titanic didn't exaggerate himself at all. But as time went by, people did tell some stories about him that he had actually been on the Titanic when, in <laughs> fact, he got his name from the sinking of the Titanic but was never near the boat. But that was um, one of his feats that he performed so often and with so many witnesses, um, some of whom are still with us, uh, that uh, I truly believe uh, not only is it one of the things that uh, he could have done, but uh, we kind of wish that uh, he were still around and uh, to watch something like that happen. Yeah, I mean, he, he he was so talented. I gather at some point he he got to know Harry Houdini. Of course, you know, still people right. people revere for the the impressive tricks he pulled. But I guess uh, to someone as talented at deception as Titanic, he was less impressed. I thought Titanic had a great take on Houdini, and he he did admire Houdini, but it puzzled him that all of these people in the theater are gasping <laughs> when Houdini pulls off the feet that's pictured on the poster outside the theater. Said, well, yes, he's going to be able to do that. He said Houdini was, like himself, a great practicer, and he said all his tricks were terrific setups. Uh, it was very carefully arranged so that uh, Houdini could pull off the seemingly uh, impossible feat, and that was just what Titanic Thompson's method was, too. He was apparently quite a psychologist in his own way. I guess a gambler has to be. Uh, something like that coin trick, he'd bet people I could do it one out of three. People knew he could do it every time, and good odds for him were like nine, nine to one in his favor. He always had the odds stacked on his, in his favor. Occasionally, you know, he would, uh, he would lose a bet, and then he'd talk about that for a long time because it helped <laughs> to make him seem beatable. But uh, when he would say, oh, you know, this is such a difficult thing to do, that if I could do it one out of three times, then uh, then surely you'll you'll pay off the bet. That's something he could do time after time after time. Such simple things as chipping a golf ball into a drinking glass, or uh, another thing he would do would be to uh, stand on the green and throw a silver dollar, try to throw it into the hole. That's hard to do. If he takes a little practice, he would miss a while, curse and curse, and then say, you know, when the money is down, I'll do this half the time. <laughs> he could do it. He could do it every time. Well, another favorite con I love, he would throw a peanut or a lemon over a building. And, uh, and, and of course, he, he almost got busted on that one by Al Capone, which is funny. Tell that, tell that story. That's right. Uh, Titanic uh, would throw uh, peanuts that were weighted with buckshot or a, a fruit, a piece of uh, orange or a lemon that was weighted with buckshot. And uh, he uh, pulled off the trick on Al Capone, won $500 from Al Capone and was smart enough to let it go at that. He felt he had to beat Capone out of something. But he only took him once, and I think the reason was he knew that if he kept doing something like that, he would have been the one filled with buckshot. <laughs> you don't cross Scarface Al Capone very often, but it was in, in Capone's Chicago that he pulled off one of his most famous bets, which was betting that he could drive a golf ball 500 yards. This is not doable in those days, not really even doable today, unless you're a tiger with the wind behind you. He said he could do it in the days of wooden shafted golf clubs. Didn't say when he was going to do it. So after months and months of waiting, it's midwinter, and he takes everybody out beside a frozen lake, and that's how he beat him out of that bet. We're speaking with author Kevin Cook about his most interesting book, Titanic Thompson, The Man Who Bet 
on everything. He took a lot of time to set these 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 uh, these cons he he would do up. Um, one he never quite managed to pull off. He was really intent in the '30s on hus- hustling the young Howard Hughes down in Hollywood, but just didn't quite didn't quite get there. That's right. He practically stalked Howard Hughes. He knew this was a guy that uh, that he could take. Hughes fancied himself a world class golfer. Uh, people have seen the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Aviator. He was uh, uh, he was every bit um, as good as most of the club champions around Los Angeles. Of course, that's a long way from a professional. And Titanic knew that he could he could uh, beat Hughes by a stroke, maybe lose by a stroke. The money goes up and up and up, and eventually he's just going to uh, take him down. Uh, but Hughes was suspicious of this cunning predator who showed up in town, just like Sam Snead, another uh, great hustler himself who wasn't going to bet Titanic. It just wasn't <laughs> going to happen. So uh, eventually uh, Titanic gave up and looked for greener pastures elsewhere after he couldn't uh, line up a match with Howard Hughes. I, I love that you tell the tale that uh, how he really was a natural lefty, but he could play right and left side. So he'd, he'd play a guy golf right-sided and go, uh, he'd lose and say, tell you what, I'll, I'll play you left-handed. It's a great bet, yes. I'll, I'll play you. You can, uh, you can uh, take uh, also, if you want, the, take as your partner the best uh, player in town, and I'll take that caddy over there. This is another thing. Not only is he going to play left-handed, he'll he'll take a caddy as his partner. Well, turns out that caddy, unknown to everyone else, is the young Lee Elder or the young uh, uh, future champion, somebody who's probably the best uh, player in uh, in the state. Uh, and one of his most elaborate cons along those lines was hiring a fellow who had beat Jack Nicklaus as an amateur, a young high schooler from Ohio, to come out and put on overalls, drive a tractor back and forth beside a country club uh, for a month, just so that after that month passed and Titanic has his scam set up, he can say to the other guys, I'll, I'll even let you choose my partner. They'd seen this guy driving a tractor for a solid month. they say, ha ha, there's your partner right there. Well, the kid Bob Stickney steps off the tractor and shoots like a 64, the best round ever shot in overalls. And again, Titanic walks away with the money. We love we love our rogues here in America, but when in doing the research for this, you talked to some people who were really well, probably less amused by his cheating and stealing. There were a few who uh, hated him. Some uh, golf pros who called him a common thief. Um, there was a fellow named Herman Kaiser who beat Ben Hogan in the Masters one year, um, chased Titanic away when Titanic, Titanic showed up uh, years uh, after they had uh, teamed up to hustle some golf. Um, I think he felt he was respectable at that point and felt that Titanic wasn't respectable. Um, the fellow Bob Stickney, who uh, was part of the scam wearing the overalls on the tractor, his <laughs> mother said, don't have anything to do with that fellow, he's just a common thief. And um, I would always maintain that there was, he might have been a thief, but there was never anything common about Titanic Thompson. <laughs> well, you mentioned, too, in the early days, uh, he, 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 he was basically not a very literate, he was barely literate person, not educated. Mm-hmm. But he figures he needs to know odds, so he hires himself a math professor to educate him on what the odds are in all these games of chance. Pretty smart, I thought. Uh, here's his first trip into New York City. He's coming into the lion's den, and uh, the first place he went was not a, a gambling parlor somewhere. It was uh, the home of a mathematics professor at New York University, whom he hired and paid well to give him a tutorial on what amounted to a statistics class. Uh, Titanic understood the odds in poker with a computer-like precision long before computers were ever deployed that way. 
Um, he won a lot of side bets. That was one way he stayed ahead of games, even when the cards didn't always go quite his way. Um, of course, he was also uh, very good at uh, marking cards. So he had so many things going uh, in his favor in a game that uh, it was very seldom that he came out uh, uh, anything but hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars ahead. Well, he, he, his, in your book reveals he touches on so many people who are a little bit more famous than, than he is. Uh, mm-hmm. One in particular, Minnesota Fats, the, the pool hustler that Jackie Gleason famously plays in, with Paul Newman in the movie The Hustler. Uh, he and Titanic were a team for a while. That's right, and Fats loved Titanic. Fats, uh, when he grew up in New York City, uh, actually never had anything to do with Minnesota, but he <laughs> took that name uh, because he was sure that the Jackie Gleason character was based on him, which <laughs> may well be true. Uh, so he became Minnesota Fats. He followed Titanic, always had a, had a way with words. He was a better pool player than Titanic was. So after he beat Titanic very severely, um, Titanic's approach at that point is, let's be partners. And they, uh, they traveled uh, the country together, winning an awful lot of money. And uh, the great Minnesota Fats, his idea of the gospel was to let people know uh, what a great action man Titanic was. He always said uh, that Titanic Thompson not only defied all laws of science, but he made Sir Isaac Newton look like a bellhop. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, there was Capone and Houdini and, and uh, Minnesota Fats. There were movie stars, Titanic uh, um, had his way with uh, several of them. He was uh, also, of course, married to five different women in addition to killing five men. It was, uh, it's one of the most remarkable lives I think uh, any American has had. Yeah, I have to ask you, why hasn't this been turned into a movie? I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, whenever I talk about it, uh, um, people say, you know, who do you see playing this guy? It's going to have to be somebody with athletic ability and great charisma. Uh, but it is such a cinematic life and a colorful life, some of the most uh, remarkable times in American history. You know, we all love the days of the Wild West gunslinger. By the 20th century, that was pretty much over with. But here comes a character who is very similar, a guy who, you know, with nothing on his side but his wits and, and uh, his courage and the 45 Colt in his uh, shoulder holster, uh, he goes in and takes everybody and uh, makes his way on down the road uh, to uh, have another adventure in the next town. And I think that's such an American and such a uh, colorful story that I do hope somebody makes a movie out of it. Well, Kevin, uh, when I was an undergraduate uh, student at, at UC Davis, my, my landlord described how he built the Flamenco, and he knew Bugsy Siegel, and he said money would come that? in from back east, kind of. Kind of interesting story. He, he liked him, by the way. Thought Bugsy was was a, was a decent fella, and you describe in the book. By the time that Siegel's starting Vegas up in '47, Thompson goes there, and it's just it's just not his element. Well, it, he did not like Las Vegas at all. He always felt like uh, it was his job to take the suckers. <laughs> uh, and once Las Vegas came along, uh, the house was going to do that. And it was the corporatization of gambling. And I think a lot of old time the road gamblers. Uh, did see their world disappearing. Um, it was also, there were very specific things he didn't like about Vegas. The, the cards are uh, plasticized. They're coated in plastic. That makes them a lot harder to, uh, to mark than the paper cards used to be. Uh, you're also being watched very carefully by people who will beat you up if you're cheating at the tables. 
Um, so his cold 45 didn't help him quite so much uh, in that setting. Uh, it was really one of the things that changed. It's the way the whole country changed around him. People became more suspicious, smarter in a way. Um, I think now if you go up to somebody and said, I can throw a watermelon on top of that skyscraper, <laughs> even though it sounds impossible, people would say, well, what's, you know, what's the scam you're working here? Um, people were less suspicious, more interested in, in going along with the game in his day. Uh, so maybe it was a more innocent time. It was also a time that celebrated gamblers like him, and I think he was the greatest of them all. And I gather some people kind of enjoyed being, being conned by him when they realized, oh, that, that's how he did it. Very clever. You do have a story to tell afterward, and you can <laughs> lunch out on that for a long time. So if, if you're really rich and you kept your losses down into the low thousands, it probably was worth it. Well, your book is filled with amusing anecdotes, and we barely scratched the surface uh, in our talk, so people are going to have to buy a copy of it. But I'm wondering, Kevin, do you have a particular favorite story among the many? Gosh, I, uh, I like so many of them, but, but there's one that always appealed to me an awful lot. It was He is one of those people, like a lot of athletes, I think, as they fade, as their skills fade, as they age, they always think they can still do what they used to do. And so it said that every real gambler dies broke. He didn't, but he sure didn't have the satchels full of money that he used to have. Um, he wound up playing, no longer able to play uh, full golf course. He was, uh, he was in his 70s. He was arthritic, uh, living in Dallas. And his wife would go along with him, his last wife, who was in her teens when they married. He was 61. She'd follow him around a par three course. And... Uh, it was the last month that he ever even played golf. In the period of, uh, of that month, he made three holes in one. And she told him, you know, that's, that's remarkable. Most people go through their whole lives. They never make a hole in one. You made three, and uh, just, it just must feel terrific to, uh, to be able to still be able to do something like that. And he just shrugged, and Titanic said, well, that's what I was aiming at. <laughs> So uh, I was, he wasn't a bit surprised. It's all the other shots that didn't go in that kind of surprised him. So I think that's, that's kind of the way that the greats really think. Well, final, final bit of commentary, uh, Kevin, today maybe by way of a public service announcement for our listeners. Even the great Titanic Thompson, who rigged games and everything, still lost money on horse racing. That's right. He, he never did beat the horses. He thought he could. There's a, there's a wonderful story. I hate to give them, give them all away, but there is <laughs> one terrific story about the, the uh, horse race in uh, Mexico that he had so lined up that uh, there was no way he could possibly lose. And having fixed it perfectly, he still lost uh, that race and uh, should never have gone back to the uh, track. But <laughs> like a lot of other gamblers, he couldn't stay away. Well, just to reassure our listeners, we have not even scratched all, all the anecdotes and great stories you've got in this book, so people are going to, I think, have to get a, get a copy of, to, to pick up the rest of those. I hope they will. If you can find out more about Titanic at, uh, at the website, titanicthompson.tumblr.com. Well, the book, we remind people, is Titanic Thompson, The Man Who Bet on Everything. Great read. We've been speaking with author Kevin Cook. Kevin, thank you for that book and, and for chatting with us about it. And I hope we'll see your name on credits when they make this into a movie. Doug, thanks. Uh, I'll see you at the movies. I sure enjoyed talking with you. All righty. As always, thank you very much for listening. But before we go, I'd like to do a lightning round from Crack.com's new section, as I suppose has become a tradition of mine. Because I like to make sure all you kept up to date on all the random weird things going on in the world that you can 
impress people with and or use to fill in awkward silences when you're on an elevator. First up, a Florida school district approved a $600,000 settlement with the families of three students who died after being hypnotized by their principal. Two students committed suicide shortly after being hypnotized by uh, former North Point High School principal George Kenny. The, the third student died in a car crash after attempting a self-hypnosis technique that Kenny had taught him. Apparently, he admitted to hypnotizing 75 staff members and students and continued to do so long after the school district ordered him to stop. And if you thought that was bad, Augustus Sol Invictus, a man with a name that pretty much guaranteed he was going to join a cult at some point in his life, and is the current Florida Libertarian candidate for the U.S. Senate, admitted to killing a goat and drinking its blood. Don't worry, it apparently was not to uh, uh, appease Satan, but the, quote, God of the wilderness, unquote. Which I find very reassuring, honestly. I mean, everyone knows nature deities are far less likely to smite you, as a general rule. And, because I always like to end on a high note, a Chinese biotech firm will begin selling micro-pigs as pets. They are pigs that have been genetically engineered to be about a foot long. They are just as adorable as they sound. Trust me, go Google it. That's all of Radio Parallax for this week. I hope you all have a great Thursday. Thanks for listening. Have you seen the little piggies crawling in the dirt? And for all the little piggies, life is getting worse. Always having dirt to play around in. starched white sheds You will find the bigger piggies stirring up the dirt Always have clean sheds